Welcome to Shiloh Church. We hope you enjoy today's message. If you are in the Jacksonville, Florida area, please join us for worship or watch our services online at shiloh.church. Thank you. Matthew chapter 22 is our text for the day. and I want to focus specifically on verses 34 through 40. Do my private devotionals and personal study from the English Standard Version, and I want to read publicly from that translation of the Scripture. It reads, verse 34, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked them a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Amen. This is God's word. You may be seated. I want to label the message simply the great commandment, the great commandment. It is Wednesday of Passion Week. In two days, Jesus will die on the cross to make atonement for sin. After his triumphal entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, Jesus immediately cleansed the temple of the dove sellers and money changers. Infuriated, the religious establishment determined then to get rid of Jesus. Their initial strategy was to trap Jesus in theological debate. This is the setting of Matthew 22. Verses 15 through 22, the Pharisees ask about paying tribute to Caesar. In verses 23 through 33, the Sadducees ask about the resurrection from the dead. And in verses 34 through 40, the Pharisees come again and ask about the great commandment. All of these trap questions fail to succeed. In fact, Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, the B part of the verse says, and after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. But having their trap questions fail, The religious establishment then will conspire to get rid of Jesus through crucifixion. Our text records what is called the great commandment in this context of hostile debate. Verse 34 
says, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. In the previous text, the Sadducees asked a question about resurrection from the dead. Jesus' response proved that they did not know the Scriptures or the power of God. Verse 34 says he silenced them. Literally in the Greek, it means to put a muzzle over their mouths. Relates to the resurrection, the Pharisees agreed with Jesus, not the Sadducees. But their animosity toward Jesus would not permit them to enjoy his victory over their theological opponents. They regrouped to plan their next move. Their next move is made in verse 35. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. This Pharisee is called a lawyer, but he is not a civil attorney. He is an Old Testament scholar. And he comes to Jesus with a theological question to test him. His motives are ulterior, but his question is legitimate. It's in verse 36. Teacher, what, which is the great commandment in the law? This question is not about the Ten Commandments. It is about all of the Old Testament that was generally called the law. Religious scholars categorize the commands in the Old Testament in terms of 248 positive commands and 365 negative commands, thou shalt, thou shalt not. And these 613 commands were subdivided into heavy commands, light commands, as they ranked them in importance. And this became an ongoing debate among theological scholars. And this scholar raises the question before Jesus to test Jesus, confident that he would be able to respond to any answer Jesus gave. The text is dripping with irony. This lawyer tests the true lawgiver and the only lawkeeper with a question about the law. Verses 37 through 40, which will be the focus of the rest of the message, records Jesus' response to the lawyer's question. And in this answer, Jesus teaches us today that true religion is all about loving God and loving people. True religion is all about loving God and loving people. What is the great commandment in the law? Jesus answers this question with a double commandment to love. Let me walk you through it. First, Jesus commands, love the Lord your God. Love the Lord your God. The first part of Jesus' answer to This religious scholar is found in verses 37 and 38. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and 
first commandment. Consider the elements of this great commandment. There is first the essential duty. In response to the lawyer's question, Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is a direct reference to the Jewish Shema. It is in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. It says, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength. That is the fundamental creed of Judaism, which devout Jews recited twice daily. No one would take issue with this response of Jesus. But what is the command in this great command? It is the command to love. Notice here that Jesus does not wade into the debate over heavy and light commandments. Instead, he points to the command that is at the heart of all of the commands. It is the law of love. The bottom line is, religious ritual activity and sincerity does not mean a thing if it is not rooted in real love. Matthew Henry said it well. All of the law is fulfilled in this one word, and that is love. There is the essential duty, but would you notice, secondly, the worthy object. The great commandment is not a call to love in general. It is a call to love a specific person. He is called in verse 37, the Lord your God. This name gives two reasons why God is infinitely worthy of your all-encompassing love. First reason, God is the Lord of creation. The word Lord there is a title which speaks of God's sovereign authority. God created the heavens and the earth, and God reigns over the heavens and the earth. Divine sovereignty requires more than holy fear. It requires wholehearted love. God is the Lord of creation. But secondly, the Lord is the God of covenant. Notice Jesus calls him the Lord, your God. That is, the Lord of heaven and earth is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God reigns sovereignly over creation, and God relates personally to creation. He is not just the Lord. He is the Lord, your God. In Exodus chapter 20, Verse 2, we find the first word of the Ten Commandments. Do you know what the first word of the Ten Commandments is? It is this. I am the Lord your God 
who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Before God gives any commands, he first establishes his right to give commands. I am the Lord your God. And this is why you ought to love God. You ought to love God because he is Lord. That's who he is. You ought to love God just because of who he is. But you also should love God because he's the Lord your God. Your God says it's beyond who he is. You ought to also love him for what he has done for you. He is not just the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And you ought to love God for who he is and what he has done for you. But not only is there the essential duty and the worthy object, consider as well the total devotion. The total devotion. Verse 37 again, look. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind. Heart is the seat of personhood that includes the mind, the will, and the emotions. Soul is the immaterial spirit being, the real you who lives underneath your skin. Deuteronomy 6 and 5 commands us to love God with all your strength. Jesus changes the word here in verse 37 to all your mind. Ultimately, we don't know why Jesus changed the word. I've got a guess. It may be that this is a subtle statement that Jesus views the mind to be the place of human strength, not the body. Ultimately, we don't know. But whatever the reason, I submit Jesus has got the sovereign right to change words if he wants to. And by emphasizing this command to love God with your mind, Jesus teaches us that true love is not about what you feel, it's about how you think. Don't put a lot of emphasis on the nuance and distinction between those three terms. The point is not found in that. There is no emphasis here on some separate or different parts of human nature, heart, soul, and mind. The three words are meant to stand together to say that you are to love God with your whole being. There is no compartmentalizing your relationship with God. Ultimately, there is no distinction between secular and spiritual. God will not let you try to love him with your heart while your mind is on the other side of town. He wants heart and soul and mind. In fact, the key word is not heart, soul, or mind, but the word all. 
that is used three times in verse 37. All your heart, all your soul, all your mind. That is, you are to love God with everything you are in every possible way. God desires, deserves, and demands your total devotion. But then note the ultimate priority. I'm at verse 38 now. It is Jesus' comment on verse 37. This is the great and first commandment. He calls verse 37 great and first. Great is in the sense of great test. It's the heaviest. It's the ultimate command. First is not first in order. It's first in rank. This is about priority and preeminence and prominence. He is saying here that no commandment is more important than the command to love God. Loving God is the chief duty of true religion. Nothing that has taken place this morning means anything if at the end of it all, you don't really love God. St. Augustine said it this way, love God and do whatever you please. This is not a license to do whatever your sinful nature desires. It is a bold declaration that says, if you truly love God, it'll change your nature so that you'll desire the things that are pleasing to the Lord. Psalm 37 verse 4 says it this way, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And so the great command is this, love the Lord your God. Second, the great command is this, Love your neighbor as yourself. Uh-oh. The lawyer raised the question about the great command to put Jesus to the test. Jesus passed the test and then gave an extra credit answer. It's in verses 39 and 40. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Verse 39 is a reference to the end of Leviticus chapter 19 verse 18. That says you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord your God. And in this second command, Jesus teaches us several truths about the great command. Let me give them to you. First, in verse 39 and 40, Jesus teaches us that the great command is twofold. It is twofold. It is both, it is both vertical and horizontal. Jesus says in the beginning of verse 39, and a second is like it. How is the second commandment like the first commandment? This is more than just an incidental connection of a common theme of love. 
The, the first and second commandments are organically connected and inextricably linked. When Jesus says the second is like the first, he is saying to us, friends, listen, you can't love God without loving people. The two got to go together. Love for God produces love for your neighbor. Divine love will overflow into interpersonal love. Let me just make that simpler. You can't love God and hate people at the same time. 1 John chapter 4, verse 20. 1 John 4, verse 20. Anyone who says, I love God, but hates his brother, is a liar. For how can you not love your brother whom you have seen and not love your brother as you've seen, but love God whom you have not seen? Real love for God produces love for people. But not only that, Jesus is saying here that love for God, stay with me, listen, precedes love for people. The link between the first and second commandment is essential, but even more essential is the order of the two commandments. You got to love God before you can love people. You don't really love God if you don't love people, and you can't love people if you don't love God. When I wrote that sentence, I, I just, I had to ask myself, is that actually true? And I declare it is. You, you can love people in the sense of care and devotion and attraction and commitment and affection and all of that without any regards to God whatsoever. But you can't love people the way Jesus is talking about here without regard. Jesus is not talking about affection or attraction or devotion or warm fuzzies. This is, if I may be technical, this is agape love. And, and for the record, the word used here for loving God is the same word used here for loving people. It's agape love. It's the big New Testament word for love, which is a sense of goodwill that acts in the best interest of the one loved to the extent of self-sacrifice, even if the one I love ain't worthy of my love. If that was too much for you to chew, let me break that down for you. It's the kind of love with which God loved us when he sent his only begotten son into the world to die on the cross for our sins. This is how we should love God. God gave us his best. We should give God our best. 
But this is not just God word, it's man word. It's not just divine, it's human. It's not just vertical, it's horizontal. He says, in the same way, you should love your neighbor as yourself. The great commandment is twofold. You can't have one without the other. But also, you should know that the great commandment is universal. Universal. Verse 39, Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. And this is a direct reference, as I mentioned, to Leviticus 19, (laughs) verse 18. And the debate about that original text is this. The debate about Jesus' statement is this. Who is your neighbor? You know, this is a big command, but you can shrink it depending on who your neighbor is. In Leviticus chapter 19, before you ever get out of the chapter, in verse 33 and 34, God says, when a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall do him no wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as a native among you. You shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Hear me, Shiloh. Your neighbor is not merely the person who looks like you. Your neighbor is not merely the person who shares your background. Your neighbor is not the the person you are most comfortable being around. Your love for people should be as such that it turns strangers into neighbors. How can you treat a stranger as if they're your neighbor? I love the way the Lord answers. He says, remember, you were strangers in Egypt, but I was nice to you when you was a stranger. We struggle with this. The Old Testament struggle walked right into the New Testament. If you're taking notes, you should jot down Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. It's a different episode with similarities. Jesus is having a conversation with a lawyer who wants to know how to receive eternal life. Jesus turns it back on the lawyer and says, you got a Bible. What does your Bible say? And the lawyer quotes Deuteronomy 6 and 5 and Leviticus 19 verse 18. Jesus says, you are right. Do this and you will live. But now the Bible says the lawyer wanted to justify himself. That is, he wanted to look righteous without being righteous. He might have deceived his heart enough to think that he loved God, but he was honest enough to know that he didn't love his neighbor. Really, that is where the rubber meets the road, right? Because you can get in here and hear the music and hear the sermon and pray the prayers and, and you say, oh, I love God. But that, this is not the test. The proof that you love God is how you treat people after the benediction today. So he just said, who, he said, who is my neighbor? He knew he didn't love everybody. But you know, maybe he could pass if you just 
shrink the pool of neighbors. You know, tell me who I'm obligated to love and who I'm free to hate. Jesus answers in that text by telling the parable of the Good Samaritan. A man falls by the wayside, the victim of robbers who beat him and leave him half dead. The priest and Levi pass by without helping, but a hated Samaritan stops to help. And Jesus, rather than answering the lawyer's question, shifts the question to teach, church, watch me, that you don't find your neighbor by looking in the mirror. You find your neighbor by looking out the window. And if the Lord has placed somebody in your path who you can help, you are obligated to be a help and a neighbor and a friend to the one in need, no matter who they are. This is what Jesus says when he says, love your neighbor as yourself. You don't get to pick who your neighbors are. Whoever God brings into your life for you to help, for you to love, for you to pray for, for you to assist, you are to be a neighbor. Furthermore, Jesus says to us thirdly here that the great commandment is selfless. You got to get this. There are two great commandments here. Love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself. And contemporary commentators have so twisted the text that they have made three commandments out of the two. They've twisted the text enough to break the second commandment into two commandments, an explicit one and an implicit one. So they say... There are two commandments here when Jesus says, listen, love your neighbor as yourself. And they seem to hear Jesus commanding that you both love your neighbor and love yourself. And then you got people running around teaching that you got to learn how to love yourself. And you can't love other people till you focus on you. And learn how to love yourself. I was in the Tender Voices Children Choir in the church I grew up in. And one of the hit songs we would sing on Youth Sunday was a song called The Greatest Love of All. There's a part of that song that says, I believe the children are our future. Right. But there's another part of that song that says, learning to love yourself is the greatest love of all. Wrong. That's just wrong. They was, they was screwing us up with that. That's wrong. No. The greatest love of all is to love God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And the first runner-up is to love your neighbor as yourself. We can't do those two because we busy loving ourselves. 
That's our problem. Second, Second Timothy 3 and 1 says, and be sure of this, that there will come times of difficulty. And then the next verse, he begins to describe the times of difficulty. And the first thing he says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2 is this, people will be lovers of themselves. Paul said the sign that the world is growing wicked is that more and more people will be preoccupied with loving themselves. Jesus here is not commanding self-love. He assumes it. This is not a command. It's a presupposition. It is not about self-worth, self-esteem, or self-identity. The point is practical. Here's what he's saying. You care for you. You take care of you. You do what you have to do to meet your needs. In that sense, you should love your neighbor as yourself. He words this same principle differently in Matthew 7 verse 12. It's called the golden rule. So whatever you would have others to do to you, do unto them for this is the law and the prophets. No one ever taught that but Jesus. The ancient teachers taught the principle negatively. Whatever you don't want people to do to you, don't do to them. But Jesus flips it over and makes it positive and makes you responsible in the equation. He says, do unto others as if you are the others. Try it another way. Treat people the way you want to be treated, not the way they treat you. Or to use the language of the text, love your neighbor as your Self. One more verse. And in this verse, I want you to see that the great commandment is not just twofold, universal, and selfless. One more idea you should get. The second commandment teaches us that the great commandment finally is impossible. In verse 40, Jesus says, On these two commandments depend all of the law and the prophets. The word depend is literally hang. Law and prophets is an idiom for the entire Old Testament. Listen to what Jesus says. Jesus says the command to love God and love your neighbor are the hinges upon which the door of Scripture stands. You can't walk in the Word until you build these hinges. Love God and love your neighbor. All of the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. Here, Jesus is not trying to annul the law. He says in Matthew 5, verse 17, I did not come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill it. He is not abolishing the law here, but he is getting us to the essence of the law, the nature of the law, the heart of the law. It is the law of love. He says, You can get all the other ones right if you just do these two things. Love God and love people. If you're taking notes, 
jot down Romans 13, verses 8 through 10, where Paul says that all of the laws, all the commandments, you shall not steal, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, he says, in any other commandment, it's all fulfilled in this one law, love your neighbor as yourself. He says, you wouldn't need all the other 613 laws if you just obey this one, love your neighbor as yourself. If you love your neighbor, you won't steal his stuff. See how it works? If you love your neighbor, you won't try to seduce his wife. If you love your neighbor, you won't try to take his life. All of the law, all of the prophets depend on these two commandments. Jesus is teaching here that true religion is all about loving God and loving people. It is that simple. Stay with me for just a few more minutes. Yet it is that impossible. I know we're in church, but can we be honest anyway for just a minute? No one loves God with all their heart, mind, and soul. No one loves his neighbor as himself. No one. Not me. Not you. In fact, it's impossible. We struggle to, to get all that we are in a place of devotion to God. You may, you may think God has got your heart, but your mind is wandering off somewhere else. And even if you can get heart and soul and mind to cooperate, you still can't love with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. Your, your love will inevitably be polluted by your sinful agenda. And oh, Shiloh, don't even get me started on loving your neighbor as yourself. We, we can't even love the people we live with, much less our neighbors. We fight with our family, mistrust our friends, and avoid our neighbors. Being right with God is as simple as loving God and loving people. But let me make a confession. If the Lord just permitted me to get to heaven on the best five minutes of my life that I have done that, I would still fall short. us to love God supremely and love our neighbor selflessly. Religion is as simple as loving God and loving your neighbor, but it is still impossible because, hear me, religion can't save you. You don't need religion. 
you need a Savior. You need Jesus. You need the blood of his cross that pays the penalty for your failure to love God and love your neighbor. Mark chapter 12, verse 28 through 34 is the parallel passage of the great commandment. After Jesus there gives this scribe, the teacher of the law, the lawyer, the great commandment, in verse 32 and 33, the lawyer agrees with Jesus. And in verse 34, Mark 12, verse 34, Jesus says to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. The scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, his buddies were far. Jesus says, you're not far from the kingdom of God. But listen, that still ain't good news. How far is not far? You do know you can be not far and still be lost. We're just being reminded that loving God Loving your neighbor cannot get you to heaven. 1 John chapter 4 verse 10 says it this way, in this is love, not that we loved God, but that God loved us and gave his son to be the propitiation for our sin. God is angry at sin, but Jesus paid it all. Listen, God does not love you because you are lovable. You are lovable because God loves you. Mm -mm, mm -mm. You missed it. I need to give you that again. You are not lovable because of how you look, what size dress you wear what kind of car you drive, what neighborhood you live in, what prefix is before your name or what suffix is behind your name or how, how much money you have in the bank. That's not what makes you lovable. You are lovable because God loves you. I'm trying to let y'all alone because you're making me have to come get you because you think you think there are people in your life that love you unconditionally, but if they knew certain things about your private world, they wouldn't sit next to you this morning. But here's the good news. God knows every ugly thing that you have done, the hateful things you have done, but he loves you anyway. And sent his son to die on the cross, to pay the penalty for your hatefulness, my hatefulness, that's love. 
only, only the love of God and the blood of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit can enable you to love God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. How far are you from the kingdom? Listen, I don't know. I got good news. No matter how far you are from the kingdom, you ain't too far from the cross. And if you run to the cross, repent of your sins, and trust the blood and righteousness of Jesus, you can have free forgiveness, new life, and eternal hope. How do you know all that, HB? I'm going to tell you how I know. Because I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shores, very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more. But the master of the seas heard my despairing cry, and from the waters he lifted me, and safe am I. Love lifted me. Love lifted me. When my mama couldn't help, and my daddy couldn't help, and my friends couldn't help. Love. Lifting me. I'm finished, church. God be praised for his word today. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For contact information, ministry updates, as well as our live Sunday morning broadcast, please visit us online at shallow.church. Thanks again for listening. Have a blessed day.